Welcome to another edition of the Hermeneutics Podcast. I'm your host, Name O'Brien, and this is the program dedicated to the art and science of biblical interpretation. On today's episode, uh, we have two guests, two friends and pastors uh, of mine. They are Matt McPhillips and Kyle Floyd. Uh, so we'll start with Matt. Won't you introduce yourselves and um, tell us a little about yourselves? All right. Good to be with you. Well, introduce ourselves, huh? Yeah. Uh, I'm the pastor of Grace Life Baptist Church. It was, well, actually this Sunday is my anniversary, which the church won't remember. They never do. Um, <laughs> I think it's uh, 18 years or 19, 18 years, I think, this year. I've been the senior pastor here and uh, married three awesome kids. I now have granddaughters and um, we are honestly just thankfully serving the Lord, enjoying it. The Lord has been amazingly gracious in transforming us by his word. That's why we're excited to talk about this um, subject today. And um, just, and we're Aaron, Aaron's pastor. I think I'm Nahum's too. I don't know, but I know I'm Aaron's pastor, but that's good to be on the podcast with you. <laughs> yes. Uh, just so, we, so everybody knows that I am a member of Grace Life for what about a year now? Maybe a little less than a year. Well, you're still on your year of probation. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> then you go to double secret probation for another year. Okay. But Is that because I'm an Ohio State fan? It's well, the Ohio State thing. Yeah, it's it's, it's a real struggle for our church. <laughs> All right, Kyle Floyd, introduce yourself, sir. Yes. Uh, so I'm from from Grace Life. Grew up here, uh, although. Uh, through the years, the church <clears throat> was at a different location and uh, went under a different name, but still the, the same covenant body. And uh, so I now serve in the church that I, I grew up in. Uh, for a little while, I served as well as a youth pastor in Indiana. And then uh, in the Lord's providence, we uh, made it back to the promised land up here in Michigan and uh, are serving here. But I'm one of the elders and uh, my primary um, responsibilities uh, have to do with uh, leading the worship and uh, things of that nature, but uh, you know, dabble in a little bit of everything here as well to fill the pulpit when uh, Pastor Matt's not here usually, uh, and just other usually things like that. Here. What's that? Did you just say I'm usually not here. When you're usually, when you're not here, usually. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, I, and I'll say this about Kyle's worship: very few people can can sing through uh the internet and still sound good and kyle you are you are that person you sound great well, you live. <laughs> in other words you have a great internet voice yes a great internet voice you're not physically present look i don't know he has the great internet voice and you have the great internet face that's perfect, that's perfect. <laughs> i'll take it <laughs> Um, yeah, so the reason we having you on for the podcast today is to discuss uh, what I was going to entitle IFB hermeneutics, but I felt that was a little unfair because it's loop, uh, grouping people into too large of a group. Um, and so I, I don't know how I'm going to uh, call the title yet or what I'm going to call the title, um, but essentially I wanted to have you on because I know both of you um, came out of a pretty... Uh, uh, how do we say conservative part of the IFB that uh, we're talking the Jack Hiles camps, the, uh, uh, well, I'll, I'll let you guys talk about where you came out of. And the point of the episode is to talk about 
a hermeneutic that is um, oftentimes, more often than not, I would say, even though it's not for everyone, uh, but oftentimes there is a hermeneutic that is used and popularized in that crowd, in that group that is, um, that, that I would have take issue with and how you guys have now transitioned from being a uh, conservative independent fundamental Baptist to now being a confessional 1689 reform Baptist church and how your hermeneutic, how you have changed the way that you treat and handle the word of God, how that has transitioned. So just to give us a, a little summary uh, about where you came from and uh, where, where you are now, and, and then we can just start from there. Hey, man. Hey, if you got your Bible, though, we got to start off with a little devotion, all right? Psalms 119, verse 31. All right, we got to start this off. I can't believe, you, you know, our missionary doesn't want to talk about the Bible from the beginning. Hermeneutic, I can't spell hermeneutic, and I mean, who needs a hermit in the church? We just need some preaching. Let me read this for you, okay? Psalms 119, verse 31. I have stuck unto thy testimonies. O Lord, put me not to shame. Bless God. That's our sermon next tomorrow on Sunday morning. Tune in. I have stuck unto soul one and amen. We need to go soul one and knock the doors. I've stuck unto the King James Bible. Glory to God. Stuck unto the King James Bible. I have stuck unto standards. I ain't throwing out my standards in my pants for some skinny jeans today. I have stuck unto the old time way. Amen. That's preaching right there. I know when God inspired that verse, it was all about the independent fundamental Baptist movement. There's our hermeneutics in an example right there, brother. Yes, yeah, so that's that's an example of what we're talking about here. Hey, that 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 outline would bring the house down. Yeah. Mm. And and that verse has nothing to do with what I just said. <laughs> there, there, there's, but I would preach that. That would have been I would have been so excited to get up to, on Sunday morning and read that verse and give four or five things I have stuck unto and haven't compromised from and. People would have been amen, and we would have basically patted ourselves on the back. And, you know, so I thought I'd start with an example of the, uh, and, and I appreciate you saying that you didn't want to call it an IFB hermeneutic because that's not, I grew up in an independent fundamental Baptist church. My pastor was a verse by verse expositor, graduated from Bob Jones University. They would never, I mean, they would, what I just did, they would have never allowed in their preacher voice class at teaching. Um, yeah, so, and, and then <clears throat> the Christian school I went to, um, they were closely aligned with Maranatha Baptist Bible College, now Maranatha Baptist University. I, again, we took systematic theology. We, we would have done book studies. Um, so I appreciate you making that distinction. And I know a lot of people, there's people that say there's no distinction in the IFB movement. There really is. They, they would never have, have felt that way. So, so I kind of had that that background, which was interesting because then when I was in the military and I uh, ended up in um, what I would call a Hiles church, sort of the Lord church, um, that exposed me to a total different um, brand. And it, you know, I, I wasn't like settled into expository preaching, didn't really, I didn't even know what it was called. So, <clears throat> but that sermon would have pumped me up on Sunday night at church as I was in the barracks on Monday in the military or something. So, um, you know, that, that kind of took me down that path. And so 
it, it was about delivery. It was about, you know, pumping up. In fact, I got a copy of the sword of the Lord this morning. I honestly it, did. It, it, you have a, a, you have a, a by a guy and he's talking about the drift of the clergy. And he says, if you're against old time religion, you're against the Bible. So there you go. I mean, as long as you're, as long as what you're saying is supporting the old time religion as defined by them, then there's no concept that what you just said isn't actually what the Bible means. What text did he get that from again? You, you went through it earlier. Well, that one, it's kind of interesting. He starts off with Luke 19:41. The sermon is, who weeps over your city? Jesus wept over Jerusalem in Luke 19:41. But then <clears throat> we go on the, the blindness of the city, hey man, the battle of the city. Um, then he comes to the depravity of our country, which he, he uses righteousness to exalt the nation, but sin is reproached to any people. Proverbs 14:34. Um then he just talks about how wicked America is. He never actually deals with the subject of depravity. Then the next point is deadness of the church. I know thy works that thou hast a name that livest and art dead. Uh, and then the drift of the clergy. He uses Jeremiah six sixteen. The Lord said, "Stand ye in the ways and seek and see and ask for the old paths." I mean, in in if you just read Jeremiah six sixteen, you can just preach anything you want. <laughs> you know, seek ye the old paths. <laughs> so it's the typical outline, though. And I've did this, where you hopscotch through the Bible, getting different proof passages. I think I called it, I refer to it as launching pad passages, a verse to launch off of. And, and if you were to point out and say, come to me and say, hey, Brother McPhillips, that verse, I don't, I don't know that Psalms 119, 131 is about sticking under dress standards. Um, I would respond, yeah, but dress standards is a point that needs to be made. So the points are good. So don't stress over whether the verse completely fits into supporting it you know the verse is a launching pad when i would prepare my sermons it was this verse oh you uh, kyle's heard that'll preach you'll read a verse or a sentence or a part of a sentence in a verse and say boy that'll preach and off you go yeah we used to call that example too we used to call shotgun messages starts it starts very focused and then it just expands and hits, you know, everything under the sun. Somehow from that passage uh, about weeping over Jerusalem, it touches on the old time way and, and things like that. So um, at least in our, in our camp, that's, that was a, a common thing. Yeah, the old time way is, that's everything. Now, if you ask them to define the old time way, that's where you're going to get in trouble. I mean, what's, well, the Amish, that's the old time way. I mean, where, where do you, where do you define that? Um, how do you define that? And for them, they're trying to preserve a certain time period in America that they viewed as the golden age, the 1950s or whatever. I mean, that was the golden age. So that's, that's the old time way. Let's preserve it. Now, if, if like us, we're family integrated where our kids sit in church with their parents as one congregation on Sunday morning, that that's ridiculous. That's too old time way, <laughs> you know, so ha, that's the problem. But how do you how do you how do you complain or point out to them? You know, you're just attacking old time religion. So 
they just move on. It's, it's very hard to have the discussion. Um, well, you can't. You can't have a discussion. I, every time I have tried to approach, um, especially said individual who wrote that article on the current issue of Sword of the Lord, um, <clears throat> he, he preached a sermon a few years ago entitled, uh, A Stone Still Has Something to Say. And he started off with David picking the five smooth stones from the, the creek bed. And he, he gave the question, what, what does David's stone speak to us today? And then he said, the sister verse uh, of this passage is the triumphal infantry passage in the New Testament where, where Jesus is, is entering uh, Jerusalem and the, the Pharisees stop him and say, you're, you're, these people are worshiping you. You need to stop it. You need to stop them worshiping you. And Jesus says, you know, if they stop worshiping me, the stones would cry out. The stones would begin to speak and worship me. And so he says, okay, because those stones, Jesus says, could speak, what does David's stone speak to us today? I mean, you're completely conflating two different texts, two different contexts, and allegorizing them both. And then I, I can't exactly remember off the top of my head what they were, but it was, I, think, I think the roundabout way was that you should dress well for church, that you should pay your pastor well, that you should be committed, and so on and so forth. Uh, you had to find five different points. For five oh, pay the pastor well. Yeah. <laughs> So this is this is a common this is a common hermeneutic and and I don't know if it has a has a classification but you both were in it and you both were were preachers in it so uh, can you give us a few more comical bad examples that what you personally had preached in the past if you're willing to to throw yourself under the bus you know it's funny we're we're at the end of John our series through John and eighteen to nineteen deal and so I'm talking about the kingdom. And uh, I found a sermon I preached like in 2011 on the kingdom, <laughs> an outline. Um, and there was no attempt in it to be consistent with the kingdom as mentioned in scripture. I mean, it was just, again, the launching pad. He's going to be king. He's Lord of Lords. Let's shout about that. Um, I've said things. I talked about women's slits on their dresses are symbols of being sluttish. Um, I'm telling you, brother, I was with the best of them. Um, I have, uh, boy, it's, you know, it's an interesting, it's a fun time when you realize how horrible that stuff is. And then you're spending the next six months on the internet, trying to erase any sermon that may be out there that you <laughs> preach that is just basically unbiblical. And I, I had to do that. Um, <clears throat> Kyle, can you remember any particularly bad ones or uh, that you preached or that pastor? Matt? Yes. Yes. Uh, actually, I can I can remember. I, I figured I would share this just because it might be a little comical and I might be getting ahead of myself a little bit. But um, I took a hermeneutics course in uh, in college. They actually taught a hermeneutics course. There It was an independent fundamental Baptist college. And I actually have the book. Uh, I still have the book. Principles of Biblical Hermeneutics. Um, uh, J. Edwin Hart Hartill. Okay. So, and uh, not, it's very, it's, it was published by Zondervan. <clears throat> it's uh, mainly an outline form. Like it's very, very uh, skeletal. There's not a lot of meat on the bones there as far as the, the content, but it was dispensational. But um I remember it was either a, a project for a midterm or a final. We had to 
uh, map out the dispensational framework. And we, the, the teacher, um, <laughs> he knows what I'm about to say because uh, he's seen it. Uh, but uh, we had to map out the dispensational framework. And uh, the teacher told us to be creative with it. And uh, I think he had in mind primarily drawing something out or writing something out uh, when he meant creative. What I met, what I went with with creative was uh, making a Play-Doh Mr. <laughs> Bill. And I made a short film on Mr. Bill going through the seven dispensations. <laughs> that was my find that video because it's disappeared conveniently. It's, we want it. <laughs> speaking of making things disappear, that uh, I tried my best to make disappear. I'm sure it's on someone's hard drive somewhere, but uh, and maybe it'll be used as blackmail against me one day or something like that. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was one of my my highlights from college. There, uh, Mr. Bill going through the seven dispensations. And, uh, and then as far as preaching examples, uh, one that probably comes to mind, I mean, there's, I'm sure if I were to think there'd be more than just one, but one that does primarily come to mind was very early on, right out of uh, college, I preached out of Proverbs on uh, the fool, uh, you know, the passage, don't answer a fool according to his folly, answer a fool according to his folly. And I pretty much started that passage uh, with just a huge scripture dump right at the beginning. <laughs> and then I basically just, I think I probably called everyone in some way, shape or form. I probably called everyone in the congregation a fool. And uh, I think my primary application was nothing good comes out of dealing with a fool, uh, you know, which is was my interpretation of the, the two uh, seemingly inconsistent verses, you know, don't answer a fool, but answer a fool. Uh, nothing good comes out of that. That was certainly probably my most hated message because I think I ticked everyone off in the congregation, but uh, also not a, not a very fine example of, uh, of biblical exposition. My, my most hated message was Mother's Day, I preached on how feminism destroyed motherhood. <laughs> I had vocal opposition during the sermon. People like, that's not there. That's not what the Bible says. And I'd be like, yeah, let me read the Bible for you again. It's right there. I mean, so, um, you know, I, I had a little more some, you know, one of the things that's interesting when you ask us for examples, Kyle, the past one, two pastors before I took this church, uh, was a wonderful pastor that was a expositor. He was a Maranatha graduate. Mm -hmm. So most of Kyle's upbringing to his later high school years, when we clearly made a drift into the, the Heil sword world, would have been under expository preaching, which always moored us a little bit, even when we were doing topical, that'll preach. It, it, it kind of gave us some foundation of, you know, be, be very careful here and what you're saying. So um, I remember a guy telling me, he says, you, you're kind of more of the, the theologian in our group, the group of pastors I was in. And I'm thinking, not really, but, but in, in their eyes, because I would actually mention the word, I mean, it's a strange word in their world, but it's called context. <laughs> I'd say the context of this chapter, but 
you know, I mentioned a minute ago how every verse is a launching pad. Also, every verse is a standalone inspired truth. There's no idea that this verse is, or this verse actually is connected to the one before. They don't look for periods and commas. None of that stuff matters. It's these five words make this statement. Let's preach. Seek the old paths. Jeremiah. Boom. Let's go. So, um, it. One of the things I like about new translations is, and and I, I would wish they'd do a King James like this. Even is they put it in paragraph format. So when when you do a sermon, and you grab five five words out of a paragraph, people in the audience are going to be sitting there looking like, okay, there's a whole paragraph. They're naturally going to read that paragraph and be like, I don't think that that has, that's not what that's saying. Yeah. You know, um, that, that would help. An example, probably the, one of the worst examples I had that I didn't preach, but I sat under, and this was, this was when, you know, there's an overlap when you're growing in your Christian life. I knew I was out of this world, but I wasn't, I was still in the world, but I knew my days are short. Okay. And um, I was actually on the way to a conference and I was teaching fundamentalism. It's past, present, and future. And basically, I was destroying fundamentalists as a movement. <clears throat> and we need to be Baptists, not fundamentalists. That was my task in the conference. But on the way there, I'm listening to sermon series on why the King James Bible is not the inspired word of God and basically why King James only was wrong, you know. And my wife's in the car with me as we're driving, like, you know. We're going to get kicked out of this world. So I knew I was out. But in, in Revelations chapter one, it was quite interesting. This guy got up and read his text out of Revelations one. Right, let me turn there. Um, verse. Uh, ba -ba 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 -ba. I had it here. It's Kings. Oh, talking about Christ in verse 12. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me. Being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with garment down to the foot. So that was the text. Okay. So I knew where we were going. He had all the women in the church stand up. <laughs> and he says, There's a great controversy. Everyone always asks me, How long should my skirts be? Okay. How long should my dress be? And he goes, Let's read the text again. And he, he reads, and He goes, This is Jesus, and it's down to his foot. You want to be like Jesus, ladies? You want to be Christ-like? Then you need to start wearing your dresses down to your foot. Oh. And he preached on that. I know. And I can see Nathan on Zoom right now. He says, that that was, and nobody, and so never mind the rest of the description of Jesus, girt with perhaps with a golden girdle. I'm not buying my wife a golden girdle. That's expensive. You know, his head and his hairs were white like wool as white as snow, his eyes were as a flame of fire. I have seen that in my wife from time to time, <laughs> eyes that look like fire. That, that is a true description. His feet were like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. In his right hand were seven stars. So, I, I mean, ignore the rest of this description of Jesus Christ. By the way, ignore the fact that Jesus is male, okay? So I don't know that the context was, this verse has nothing to do with women and how long their skirts and dresses should be. But he preached that whole sermon off of that, ignoring the rest of the verse about the description. I mean, if you want to use that as an example of how you should dress, then you need to get your wife seven stars to carry in one hand, a golden girdle, white hair. I mean, it's, it's just nonsense. But 
afterwards in the luncheon, I was at a camp meeting actually. Someone asked me about it. We're at a table, and I said, "Well," and they go, "Oh, here you go. You're going to criticize." I said, "Well, I first of all, Jesus is a guy, and secondly, I don't think that context has anything to do with that." But it was completely foreign, and they're like, "You're just being critical now." It's modesty in women's dress is important. Well, yes, that is important, but that's not what that verse was talking about. But as long as what you're stating is important, then again, the verse was just a launching pad and it worked. That was one of the worst ones towards the end that I ever sat through. <laughs> it was just like, um, I, I knew it, it was even hopeless to even try and bring up that, yeah, that's probably not right. But, and Kyle going to attest to this, they're the only ones holding the old time way and holding to the King James Bible, the perfect inspired word of God. And yet they, they abuse it as though it's not perfect and it's not inspired. Yeah, yeah. It's like they care not for what it's actually trying to say. And I don't know, I don't know why dress standards are the, the thing that they like to point out them, not maybe not the most, but often um, I've, I mean, your story reminded me of, the worst example I've heard, or I remember hearing anyway, um, it's when Jesus is walking on the shore uh, of the sea post-resurrection, and uh, in John 21, I'll start in verse 7, <clears throat> that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, uh, sorry, I'm reading this out of the ESV, not the uh, not the Kings, um, but he, he put on his outer garment for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. So that's where he stops. And the sermon, at least that point section of the sermon was about how we ought to model Peter's behavior and dress our best before we come to church, before we come to Jesus. And I, I remember sitting there, I think that was pretty late in my high school years at this point, And I, I had completely checked out uh, without any sort of, training whatsoever I, I i knew that that was not what that text was saying uh and, that, right. and that's really the issue that we're hitting on right here we're, hit, we're hitting on a type of hermeneutics that is modeled in which you ignore the context you ignore what the author is actually trying to say you're grabbing a segment or a text or a single word sometimes and you're using it as a springboard maybe that'd be a good episode title springboard hermeneutics uh, and then I could tag the sword of the Lord in it or something like that. But um, <clears throat> it's a springboard into discussing whatever they want to discuss about. And so yeah. ultimately what it comes down to is they're preaching their word and not Christ's word, not God's word. And right. that's what is so offensive to me about this. Uh, but you were going to say something? Well, I, I wrote this down as a reminder, though. We, we have to be careful and not make the mistake in, in thinking what they're doing on purpose. They truly believe they're the last bastion of New Testament Christianity. And they're not like, hey, let's find a verse that I can twist and take out of context today and preach it. That, that is not in their mindset. They are rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay. Um, again, most of them, well, most they will be King James only. To, I mean, we us Baptists love our Anglican translation, and they, but there's no constant, you, you know, they would accuse me, because we use the English Standard Version in our church, of not having the perfect Word of God, but when that guy preached Revelations chapter 1 there, he did more damage than even the poorest of translation can do, 
and that he took authority upon himself to change the meaning of scripture, therefore exercising his authority over God's authority. And yet he's completely oblivious to it. Mm. Yeah. You know, and so definitely don't think that they're doing this on purpose. It's just the way you do it. Right. There were definitely examples of, you know, it's a backwards hermeneutic. You, you, some, some, you can clearly tell some people create a message and then try to find a text to use at the beginning of it to legitimize it as a Bible message. But yeah, they are the only, you know, at least in our camp, we felt like we were the only faithful Bible believers. It's not that we, you know, we didn't even compare our preaching to those, you know, in other, in other camps or who used, if you used a different translation, we, we just didn't even give you the time of day to engage, uh, to see how you handle the word of God. In fact, one of the things for me, at least that, took me in the direction I ended up going was that I was exposed to uh, some preachers who weren't King James only. And I noticed how careful they were with the text of scripture. And I, I thought, man, this is, this is backwards for my thinking. These guys are, are supposed to be Bible deniers and yet they are more careful in their approach than us who are supposed to be like, like Pastor Matt said, the last bastion, um, you know, in Christian faithfulness. Another thing, too, that, you know, the the stuck into the testimonies might not be a good example of it. But um, one thing as well in that movement, at least, was that the and I don't want to get into the weeds, but I think it's worth saying that the translation that they use uh, and this isn't a slight against the King James. But the translation they use uh, allows for that type of abuse on occasion as well, because the the language is over 400 years old. And I remember someone making a statement one time saying, if you don't have updated translations, you just stick with one translation. As languages change, your traditions change because you're interpreting the same words, but with a different meaning over time. And a prime example of that is John 14, in my father's house are many mansions. Most people's understanding of that is they're going to have a huge piece of real estate in heaven one day that's made of gold. And that word in 1611 didn't mean that. I remember going over that text on my series, the series I taught on heaven, and I felt like I killed everyone in in the audience because I just took that hope away from them. But in 1611, that's not what the word mansion meant. The King James translators used a good translation in that passage. The problem is in the 2000s, the word mansion means something entirely different now. And so if you're using that translation today, you actually have a changing tradition. It now means something in the minds of the reader that it didn't mean in 1611. So I'm not saying that someone can't use the King James and make the proper definitions and distinctions to make sure that their hearers understand what the text is saying from that translation. But that wasn't the case uh, in, in our movement. And if you had a 1611 and in a Webster's 1828, you were good to go. Well, that is our time for today. This is only part one of three episodes with pastors Matt McPhillips and Kyle Floyd on the subject of Old Paths Hermeneutics. Matt and Kyle are elders of Grace Life Baptist Church of Port Huron, Michigan. 
You can find more information about them and or the church at gracelifebc.com. Again, that's gracelifebc.com. They also have recently launched a podcast for the church and for others called Perspective, which can be found on Apple Podcast. So once again, I'd like to thank you for joining me today on the Hermeneutics Podcast. Stay tuned for part two of Old Paths Hermeneutics coming soon.